0: Even if my kids go overseas, even if God doesn't heal me from cancer, even if my neighbor never believes, even if my child never comes home, there's a plethora of even ifs in life. Um, Maybe you've heard the song out there uh, talking about something very similar. It was actually a song, Even If, that's out there. It came out, I think it was Casting Crowns a few years ago. My parents ended up adopting that song. They listened to it. They said several times a day before my father passed and said, even if my father doesn't live, right? And he passed a couple of years ago, but they were still rejoicing in God was, who, who he is. But let's be honest, that can be a difficult thing to do. And so we need to figure out better ways to do it. How do we, what does our stance, spiritual stance, need to look like in order to have that type of thinking and attitude and heart desire? And so we're going to be walking the next seven weeks and we're going to be looking at the book of Daniel. We're going to be looking at the book of Daniel. Um, I'd encourage you to go ahead and be grabbing. Uh, a pen out right now, and you've got more notes today than you've probably ever had before. Um, the next, I'm going to be weaving in background and culture and contextual information throughout the first several weeks. So just so you know that, but we're going to look at this series called Even If, because Daniel was a perfect way to go. You know what? Here are several scenarios, several parts of a story that they said, even if this costs me something, I will be faithful no matter what. They were determined to be that. Now we're also excited about this series uh, for other reasons too, because God has blessed this church uh, with a wonderful space to be able to worship in. But this is this is a seven-week series, and this is our last series in this space before we move next door and make that treacherous journey all the way over there. But that's exciting for us as well, Um, and we believe that this will be God honoring. Now. Know that today I'm going to be giving you, uh, especially the first 10 minutes or so, a lot of information to help you understand um, not only the context of Daniel, but Daniel and the story of the Bible and what that means for us. Uh, So get ready for a whole lot of uh, information thrown your way because here's the book of Daniel. Daniel is in the Old Testament. Right, go to Ezekiel, which is a much longer book. And so, if you can find Ezekiel, it's after Psalms, um, and you're going to find Ezekiel and then Daniel and then Hosea. So, if you could go ahead and try to go to Daniel chapter one, I'd love for you to better turn to it. If you have the Bible, if you don't have a Bible, we have them scattered on different places throughout. Take one; it's our gift to you. We'd love for you to better have it. Or if you have a friend who needs a Bible, take one of ours, give it to them. We don't care one bit. We want the word of God absolutely everywhere in this community and throughout the world. And so make sure that you take that opportunity. But here's Daniel um, and Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. Go to it. It's the last of the major prophets that we, really, that we see here. Um, you had the major prophets. You had the minor prophets. The only difference in the major and the minor is really the length of the book. Let's be honest. Um, that's why I tell everybody, just because Joel is a minor prophet, don't look down on me too much. Um, it's just linked to the book. And so here's the last of the major prophets. Um, and it's also one of the last books written in the Old Testament. Uh, you're going to find that. This is roughly uh, 550 to 600 B.C., before the time of Christ. Um, and for that last 400 years before Christ, we have something called the intertestamental period. That time where some people say uh, that God was silent. Um, and uh, so you have this time period in between. So one of the last books that we have written in the Old Testament, it's 12 chapters. The first six chapters is a narrative on Daniel's life. Now, we're going to be walking through primarily those six chapters, but I'm also going to be referencing, referencing the last half of the book. Most people don't ever hit it at all. Because that's talking about different prophecies, even the end times. And uh, because Daniel, he, he was incredibly accurate, God spoke through him. And he laid out the prophecies of what were to come for the next several hundred years, even into the end times, um, but even with the birth of Christ, etc. And so because of that, a lot of people go, well, he must not be the author because he was too accurate. And so they dated it closer to 200 years before Christ. But even at the end of the 19th century, they found something called the Babylonian Chronicles, which documented everything, and they know it's accurate. They documented everything through the Babylonian exiles and everything else. Um, and it matches everything with Daniel. Go figure. All right? Isn't that how it seems to work? And so that's the Babylonian Chronicles that they found in the, in the late 19th century that matches up with all that Daniel was doing. Because of that, uh, at one point, people were questioning, is Daniel really the author? But now people who are questioning are going, okay, he's the author. This is, this is something beyond our comprehension because of those prophecies in chapters 7 through 12 that he foretold of. Daniel um, is important also in the story of the Bible. What I don't want us to do is only look at Daniel and go, okay, here's this one, um, one, two, three, four isolated event, something that's happening historically, and then just rip that away from the context. And Because it's important for us to understand in the Bible. If you go to the inside of your worship guide, you'll see some of this information for you. Because I'm wanting you to have as much of it as possible. The more we can help you understand the beauty of the word of God, um, the better for you and for everybody. Here's why we preach scripture here. Because, one, I don't have to make up something. It's already there for us. My job's easy. You all want my job now, don't you? I just tell you what's already here. Because otherwise, we're constantly having to make up things. And if we don't believe that the word of God is truth, that means every 10, 20 years, it changes. Our idea of truth changes with culture. I, I, our idea of truth does not change with culture. It's already set in the name of Jesus Christ. And so we just walk through the word of God. Here's Daniel in the story of the Bible. Here's the Bible. It starts, and just very quickly to help you understand, first book of the Bible is what? Genesis. Y'all get a gold star. There's Genesis. Um, God creates everything. He throws a couple people in the garden named Adam and Eve. And they messed up. And yes, I say they messed up. They messed up and as a result, they were exiled out of the Garden of Eden. Because they stepped away from God. Now, that's key. They Stepped away from God. I did not say that God stepped away from them. It tells about God later on in the book of Genesis making a chosen people out of the family of Abraham. And it ends, it concludes with this family of Hebrews then being exiled into Egypt for 400 years. That's where Moses comes into the picture. And they're in exile for 400 years. And Moses raises the people up and says, let's go. We can escape this. We can leave. He leads them out of Egypt. That's known as the Exodus. Eventually, he dies. We know Joshua takes his place, that mantle of leadership. And he takes them into the promised land. There are then um, different tribal leaders. You look at 12 different tribes that are built. Um, and they're on this tribal leadership mentality mentality. Um, They are also, it's called judges. They have different judges over each one of them. Later, they are ruled by the kings. Um, Saul, David, and then Solomon. Saul was the first king. Uh, Maybe you remember him well. He hated David. David was really good friends with his son, Jonathan. And David ended up taking leadership then. And then after that, Solomon. About 1,000 years before Jesus Christ, After Solomon dies, the country is divided at that point into the northern kingdom and also the southern kingdom. Now don't worry, I know I'm not showing you, I'm a map guy, I'm not showing you maps today. Don't worry, they're coming next week. But you have the northern kingdom and you have the southern kingdom. And they each have their own king. And after a lot of rebellion against God, the northern kingdom is then once again taken into exile by the Assyrian Empire. They're conquered. That's in 722 B.C. The southern kingdom of Judah, they had to pay a tribute to Assyria, but they were not taken into exile. So they basically paid, paid a tax, is one way to think about it, so that they didn't have to go into exile. Now, the Babylonian uh, Empire really is known for attacking them three different times. Um, What you have is you have the Babylonians attacking uh, Jerusalem and it does result in thousands being taken into captivity. But what you have is after their first attack of this region, um, not that many were really taken into exile. It was after the second Babylonian attack that you have literally probably well over 10,000 people being taken back to Babylon and being put into exile. And this is, of course, after they have plundered the city and destroyed everything that is in their sight. Part of this, after the very first exile, that's when you have people like Daniel who were taken back with them. Um, Other people that you may know of, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I just like saying those names, don't you? Isn't that fun? I should have named my son Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I mention that because one of the things that you'll find here is you find Daniel and his friends getting new names. That's going to be important as you read through this. You're going to find a lot of people getting new names. And they're getting new names because... It was significant because when one empire would come and take over and attack and conquer another empire, they would then often take young men. You're going to see this in Daniel chapter 1 in just a second. They would then often take, um, especially people who were of any kind of importance, they would take their young children and teenagers, etc., and they would take them back and they would really indoctrinate them with education and their own idea of religion and in their language, and they would do everything they could and they would rename them. And they would rename them because it showed that they had victory over them, that they had authority over them. So Daniel is the Hebrew name, and I'm glad that we use the Hebrew name. Belteshazzar, there it is, Shazzar, is actually the name that Babylon would have given him. So all of this is happening And you see the northern and the southern kingdoms, and all of a sudden they're being attacked. And you see um, the Babylonian exile. And it's just this repetitive pattern of God's people stepping away from God and them then experiencing hardship. And the degrees of the hardship buried based on the callousness of the heart. Then they would step back to God. And then over time, they would step away from God once again. Isn't this our pattern of living? Right? Isn't this what we do? This is why we have this and our spiritual journey. You find it in the Old Testament as well. And so we discover Daniel walking through a time in which he he lived through all three of these different excursions to Babylon coming in and invading that area. What you have in Daniel chapter 1 is you have a guy by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. Defeating them in 605 B.C., that was the first time, um, as I said before, a limited number being taken into Babylon, including Daniel. Um, But then later on, some of the kings that Nebuchadnezzar left in charge began to rebel against him. And so in 597, he came back and attacked Judah, which is where, in that second deportation Well over 10,000 people were taken into captivity. By the way, uh, part of that included people like Ezekiel in that second deportation. Third time Nebuchadnezzar came to Jerusalem, he burned the city and the temple. Um, That's what probably we know of the most. That was in 586 B.C., and he came, and he just simply destroyed and wiped out everything. Babylonian exile. Here it comes. And so I want to jump in now that you have a little bit of understanding into Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. So I hope already you're you're, you're hearing some of this. All right? In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, all right? So there he is. He's one of the kings. you got the northern and southern kingdom. Here comes Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he came to Jerusalem, and he besieged it. He attacked it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, and we see this, and he brings it to the house of his God. He placed the vessels in the treasury of his God, and then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, which is really, just to let you understand real quick about the eunuch, this is someone, in this biblical context, this is a commander over several of the slaves and his subjects. And he does this, he says, I want you to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family, And of the nobility. Why? Because what I was telling you before, he wants to indoctrinate them. But he goes, I want you to bring them. And I want you to bring me the ones, right, who are without blemish. Bring me the very best of good appearance, skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. So here's what's taking place. You've got this three-year training period that would typically take place. They bring the very best people of the royal palace, the very sharpest, and they'd bring them. And again, they would indoctrinate them, and they would want them to acclimate and, and make sure that the captives were then starting to embrace who they were because it showed power and it showed authority. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, let me talk about him for just a moment. He was considered to be a master builder, but also this military architect. Uh, You see it certainly in three different invasions already. He ruled for uh, 43 years, starting uh, 602 before Christ. And he was certainly a king that was uh, a bit obsessed with conquest and power. One of the things that you also see here in this passage is it talks about how they came and they took everything from them. It says, some of the vessels, this is verse 2 and following, some of the vessels of the house of God, they took them and they brought them to their house of God. They placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Now, what this did is it expressed superiority of one God over another. Now, this is going to come back later on to bite them um, because they're not going to have anything to do with that. It continues on, and it lets us know that they're coming, they're taking these people, taking them back. This would have been roughly about a two-month journey. Think about the hardship here. So here come some people um, who all of a sudden... The, the ones who are handsome and smart and intelligent, they've got everything going for them, Um, they're being taken into captivity, and all of a sudden they've got a two-month journey ahead of them. And think about the fear that could have been present when all of a sudden here comes these foreign people with a different language, with, with different practices, with different gods, and they come in and say, you're going back with us, and we're going to indoctrinate you. We're going to teach you our ways And it's going to be about a two-month journey. Get ready. Get ready to walk through that scenario into a foreign land with different culture, worshiping pagan gods. Now, as all this is unfolding, it tells us in verse 5 through 7, it says the king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. Here's this three-year period. They were educated for three years, and at the end of the time, they were to stand before the king. Now, here comes Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? And we know that it tells us that they were of the tribe of Judah. But then what we see happening is the chief of the eunuchs that I mentioned earlier, what he ends up taking place, he gave them these names, but it doesn't stop there says, Daniel, in verse 8 and 9, Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself, and God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. Daniel and his friends are brought to serve in the royal palace. And immediately, they're pressured to relinquish part of their Jewish faith and to begin conforming to others by eating foods that defile that very faith. There's been a lot of uh, different ideas put out there in terms of why they would not eat this food. Uh, If it were certain meats, we can certainly understand um, some think this is simply because of the way that it was prepared, uh, that Daniel didn't want to eat it. I think, th- I think Daniel didn't want to eat it because he knew that it was really in honor of a pagan god, and he didn't want to have anything to do with that. And so right away we find Daniel who's having to make a decision about what he would and would not conform to. I need to tell you now that when it comes to your faith, you've already probably made a decision about where you will stand in the midst of hardship and difficulty. Rarely do you make that decision once it comes. It's already been predetermined in terms of how far you'll go. And I love the fact that Daniel is standing so firmly in his faith that even though everybody else is probably giving in, Daniel says, no, I will not defile anything that has to do with my God. I, won't, I, won't, I can't take part of it. Now, knowing this, he doesn't know the response or the reaction. It's easy to stand in your faith, If you know the response of the people in front of you, (laughs) it's easy to go, you know what? I'm going to stand for my God, and I know that everybody's going to be positive in that response. But what if you don't know how they're going to respond? And Daniel doesn't know how they're going to respond at all. All of these things are unfolding. Nebuchadnezzar is a king who is ruthless in many ways. He's attacked several times. He's wanting to make sure that he makes a point. And so Daniel says, yeah, but you know what? I'm not going to conform to what he wants. Nebuchadnezzar was somebody who dictated and ruled by fear many times. And so I think about that chief of the eunuchs and I go, okay, wait a second here. I'm sure that he was a bit scared and timid of King Nebuchadnezzar and making sure that he did everything right. How does he even process this information? hey, this guy who is being brought into captivity doesn't want to do what the king has told me that I better make sure happens. How do I deal with that? But again, it says Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food. These men could have totally withdrawn from the culture they were put in. They didn't do that. He just said, I'm not going to eat Your food. We're going to find Daniel growing in authority even throughout the story. But Daniel knew what he would compromise and he knew what he would not compromise. And when it came to his faith, he would not compromise. But this is what we find. this is why I think this story is so significant. Um. Because you're going to find multiple times throughout the book of Daniel, you're going to find people acting on behalf of their faith without knowing the result and what is to come. And they said, it doesn't matter. Even if the outcome is not what I desire, I will stand firm in my faith. We've got a good friend of mine. I told you a story a while back um, a lady just started, this was when I was pastoring another church, this lady, and it was in the Northeast. She starts coming to the church, and uh, she was a few years older than I was, so she was probably mid-30s at the time. Um, and she goes, I just, I just know God is speaking to me. And he just keeps saying that there's more to know of him, and I feel like it may be his son. And so we start having these conversations. Um, and she grew up I mean, just devout in her Jewish faith, And over the course of several months and just pouring into her, she came to accept Jesus Christ as her Savior. Now, that's pretty cool, isn't it? But there's more to it because for her, the hardest part was knowing that her family would completely deny her and her son if she did this. And so after the course of time, she told her family what was taking place I end up baptizing her. As of a couple years ago, her family was still not speaking to her. That lady said, even if my family denies me, I will stand firm in my faith. Daniel said, even if I go hungry, I will remain faithful. He already knew where he was standing with God, and he wasn't going to relinquish that. He knew where he was standing with God. Daniel is all about faithfulness. Why? Because we're we're increasing, if you think about our day and age right now, we are increasingly living in a foreign land. That's how I feel. If you're living, I think anybody who is living devoted to their faith in all aspects of their life, if you look at the world around us and what's taking place, especially here in the United States, I completely sometimes feel as though I'm in a foreign land. I know the language, but our words have very different meanings. Words like love and accountability and truth and righteousness have very different meanings. And so you look at that and you see that mirror of where we are today. Our country is moving further and further from God, but praise be to God, I know that he can redeem. This book is incredibly relevant for today. How we hold on to our faith and our hope, even as the values and the perspectives around us are continually shifting and altering. It's asking questions like how do we stay faithful when society pushes us to compromise? What part of your faith have you compromised that's actually being disobedient to God? It's asking us questions and forcing us to evaluate things like how can we influence the culture for God and not just withdraw?" to our comfort spot with like minded people. That's that part of being a caddis, right? of spiritual awakening in a dry culture that we know that God is pushing us to more and more and more. God has not called Chapel Point to come together and hang out with people who are already like-minded and like-hearted and put our head in the sand and say, look at us, we're great. He has called us to jump into the community and the power and in the courage of Jesus Christ and declare that he is the only God. And some of you, you won't like that. That's Okay. But we are here to fight for God, to stand for God, to represent God, to reflect God, not to hide from the world so that we can claim our own comfort zone. Being a Christian is not about being comfortable. And so God's calling us to do that. He's calling calling us to be bold and even saying, you know what, I know that this business was just taken over, this corporation was just taken over, and I probably am lucky to even still have a job, but they're asking me to do something that I can't do morally, and so I'm going to speak up on behalf of my faith. Because if you're willing to compromise in what happens is you tell your spouse, well, later on when I get to know my new manager, I'll speak up. But then something else happens and you don't. And all of a sudden before you know it, you've been there for 18 years, all the while compromising who you are in the name of Jesus Christ. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So Daniel teaches us faithfulness. And you go, well, then how is it that he's willing, because you're going to see it in Daniel. You're going to see it in his story in Daniel chapter 6 in the lion's den. You're going to see it with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in chapter 3. You're going to see it next week as we look at Jesus Christ already being looked at and, and being told of his coming and his, his power. We're going to be looking at all of this. And you go, well, then how do they do it? And here's the key, something we speak about all the time. Here's the key. Today, my greatest concern for those of faith is that they look at self first and then because of who they desire to be in self, they then paint a picture of who God is. We are to look at who God is and then after looking at who God is, then we determine who he desires for us to be. You've got to get the order right. You're following me, yes? I need some feedback today because as I'm preaching, I'm getting riled up. Too many of us have already predetermined who we desire to be rather than asking God who he desires for us to be. And so you can't understand fully who God is wanting you to be without first looking at who he is and what he has done to redeem since the beginning of people, since the beginning of time. We have to look at who God is. And say, okay, well, this is who God is. And all of a sudden, you know what that begins to shape? Your preferences. Your willingness to do some things and your unwillingness to do others. Because no longer is it about your desire. It's about what God desires. Know God first, discover self second. It's one way to think about it. Know God first, discover self second. We've got to get the order right. I believe Daniel had the order right. There's no other way he could have done what he did. This would have been a young, young guy saying, you know what, it's all about God for me. I, I can't deny my faith. Another thing he said is not only, even if I go hungry, I will be faithful. He said, even if I go hungry, I will be uncompromising. I will be uncompromising. Some of you have compromised your faith because it was never really your faith. Somebody just told you, maybe a mom or a dad or a friend, they told you what to believe and you never took it as your own. I pray that you discover your faith. I pray that it's something that you can claim as your own. That's why we tell people all the time, your parents can't give you faith. hate to tell you, they can't. It's something that you have to do yourself. And you have to determine where you're going to fall and if you really believe that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. But I'm here to tell you John 14, 6 is real. He is the way and the truth and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through him. And it doesn't matter what you've done or where you've been, God loves you. And some of you are thinking well if I can get right in my own behavior first then I can come to know God. No it doesn't work that way. You can never be right enough in terms of your behavior to truly be in a relationship with God. You can be in a relationship with God because he's already accepted you if you would repent and come before him and declare that he is Savior. Isn't that good news? And so here's Daniel and he's Stepping in. This is going to be a fun series because we're we'll gonna get to look at all of these different stories about you know what? Here are people standing in their faith, willing to be uncompromising. Even if he were to go hungry, he says, I will be uncompromising. He says, He will not defile himself. Reminds me of Matthew, uh, Matthew 15, 18 through 20. Be a great passage for you to go back and read later this week. Matthew 15, 18 through 20, where he says, But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. Here's a different way to think about it. Are are you you defiling yourself? Another great topic, if you meet a new friend, just ask them right up, are you defiling yourself? It's it's a great way to get to know someone. Um, In fact, the challenge this week is go to a sporting event and meet a stranger, and that's the first thing I want you to ask them. Please don't. Daniel comes in and he says, I will not defile myself. And the reason I'm preaching it like this is because I know that the majority of people who show up on a Sunday morning, especially when we have winds, that I, I don't expect to go home with the roof on my house, right? We got big, and, and so if you're showing up today, it's most likely, not everybody, but a lot of you, it's because you're already a believer, And we are, Scripture's very clear, we treat believers differently than we treat non-believers. I am failing you as a pastor if I'm not asking you if you're defiling yourself. Something that's not even on there, I'll give you another one to fill in. Even if I go hungry... Daniel says, I will trust God. That's what all that means. Even if I go hungry, I will trust God. He trusted his situation to God. And God intervened even by showing him favor and the response of the chief of the eunuchs to be able to handle it in such a way. God Caused this official to show favor when there was no, because there's no other explanation for him to show favor to Daniel in this situation. Daniel was unwilling to defile himself. He knew that he was called to be a catalyst for spiritual awakening in a dry culture. He knew that he was called to be a catalyst for spiritual awakening in a dry culture. And already that's what he's being. Here here comes King Nebuchadnezzar, takes him to exile. He's taken over, and right away he begins to be a catalyst by standing for God of spiritual awakening in a dry culture. That's what he was being. And that's what God is calling you to as well. It might be in your marriage that you actually don't believe there is any hope for. Because every time you even try to show God, even then they use it against you. Oh, now you're acting better than I am. No, I just, I'm just know that I'm praying for you. Oh, you're trying to pray that I, I, I get fixed? No, I'm just praying that God restores our marriage. That's what pastor said. Oh, now you're going to start listening to pastor. Anybody? And that's where you just want to put a helmet on and run into a brick wall? But God's calling you to be a catalyst and a spiritual awakening and a dry culture, maybe a dry marriage. Daniel's thrown into this very quickly. Here's some things. If you want to stand in your faith as Daniel did, I'm going to give you just a few things that will help. First of all, um, you need to know where you stand. You need to know where you stand. That's first. Know where you stand. He's calling you to stand in your faith, but first, you need to know where you stand. And then, second, just as Daniel did, you see it. He lived in his conviction. So, you need to live in your conviction. Now, here at Chapel Point, we speak about it frequently. Conviction is a blessing, right? Because that's God speaking to us through the Holy Spirit and saying, this is what I want you to do and what I don't want you to do. And if you trust that his ways are greater than your ways, then you'll listen to that. But if you, here's another way to think about it. If you look at who God is first before you determine who he wants you to be second, that's easy to do. That's easy to think that way. If it's all about what you want first and then God is here to help support that and to make sure you get what you want even though he is God, then you're going to struggle with conviction. And what you'll do typically is you'll claim others who speak to you in such a way they're judging you rather than holding you to biblical standards. Anybody who wants to say amen can say it right now. That's real life, isn't it? let's Let's be honest with each other. So we need to know where we stand, and then we also need to live in our conviction. And then here's the other thing. And, and part, of the, part of the way that you live in your conviction is that you need to tell someone how God's convicting you. Um, I'm going to write a book, Great Questions to Ask to Build Friendships. How's God convicting you today? But If you've got brotherhood, if you've got friends then you can, you can do that and you can say, hey, can I tell you how God's convicting me? Because what that's going to let you do is, thirdly, it's going to let you stay strong. It's going to let you be faithful and you're going to have that accountability of a friend. And so you're going to keep moving forward. I am certain that as, as Daniel prepared to have that conversation with the chief of eunuchs, there are several other conversations that came to mind. He's like, how do I say this so that I don't get killed right away at least? Um, I, what, what needs to happen here? And he's constantly having, the. I can imagine the conversations he's having in his head and yet he still comes down and he says, listen, this is what it is. Here's my conviction. I believe in one God. I can't defile myself by eating your food because that would cause me to abandon my faith. I will not abandon my faith. I will stand strong in it. He he is my Lord. What a conversation to have. Even if I go hungry. Even if my spouse never comes to faith. Even if cancer wins, even if I never get the job that I think I deserve, even if, will you remain faithful? God, I come before you and I ask for your strength and your presence. And there are some friends out here today, I am certain, that are struggling if they will remain faithful in the even if of their life. So as we walk through this series, God, I pray for your strength and for your presence. Amen. Daniel's faith was more important than his own comfort. Daniel's faith was more important. Than his personal preference. Daniel's faith was more important than avoiding ridicule. Is yours. Daniel knew what it was to surrender to something greater than self. Daniel knew what it was to hold firm to something that. Would propel the world forward rather than only bettering him. Daniel gave himself to God. Have you, will you give yourself to God? What are you holding on to? Truth? Self? Difficulty could not deter Daniel. Hardship could not deter Daniel. Even if he were to go hungry, he would not surrender his faith. He was uncompromising. Will you be? Even if my God is still God. Even if he is amazing, even if he still cares, that is the God we sing to.